good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This is your host, Jermaine G, with my co-host, Mark W. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Nice to be back with Jermaine G, back on the link again. Hey, so this is the uh, Curious Anarchy podcast. Um and today's episode, um, we're actually running a day late, unfortunately, um, by exclusive invite only, Africa. We've been to Europe, we've been to the Far East, we've been to Latin America, and now we're, we're in and Africa, Asia. we're going home. We've been to Australia as well, don't forget them. Oh yes, of course, of course. That was a very successful episode, actually. Uh, that that caught a few of our Australian listeners. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jermaine says we're going home, but not only are we going home, but we're going to the continent that Jermaine and I are hoping to walk and cycle across for 365 days uh, as soon as we the world is virusly free-ish. So, um, so for us, it's quite it resounds quite strongly in our in our consciousness. Um. And so today we're choosing five people each for, to have a, an exclusive dinner party with. And I'm going to tell you now, Jermaine, you're going to get knocked out by the food. I think we might have to wait a few weeks before we do another pod after this, because the food from Africa will be sensational. Oh, excellent, excellent. Um, okay, so let's set the scene then. Who who would be the cook? This isn't one of the guests. This is this is the cook. No, I think we'd have a, 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 a range of cooks because I think, okay. like when we did the the European one and the Latin American one, I think the problem is that people from different places create different meals. So you know, you couldn't imagine having a Moroccan cook doing a, a Kenyan meal; it just wouldn't work. So you'd, you'd need to have a rotor system with the meal so that we can. Are, are there any chefs that you you can kind of think of that would come to mind? No, no one that's good enough from here. We'd have to go to the continent of Africa and find. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, no one, no one that springs to mind. But most of the best oh. food I had were in townships, and the, you wouldn't know the people's names. Ah, uh, right. Got you. Got you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, restaurants tend to be a little bit, you know, for me that I don't like the food. It's too rich for me. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, for me, it would have to be what you grew up eating. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. um yeah, so we are now in Africa. Um, and d- describe the scene, please, Mark. You've been there. So, so yeah, we're 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 going to be sitting. Let's say we invite everyone to. I've got one or two venues either the Savannah in, between Kenya and Tanzania, where you know we've got a table laid out in surrounded by grasslands where there's all kinds of wild animals perpetually moving from waterhole to waterhole. Um, or we're we're sitting by Victoria Falls, watching the, the amazing um, wealth of water that's flooded across that area. Um, so we've been in one of those two areas, really. Um, we're sitting down. Um, all our guests are uh, enjoying uh, the local cuisine and the local. Jermaine, uh... can you hear me? Yeah. Sorry, uh, the local um, like uh, beverages as well. Um, and unlike um, some of the tacky TV um, things in Britain, the series in Britain where you have sort of leopards walking through kitchens and things, it wouldn't kind of be that set up at all. <laughs> you know, it would be a proper 
it would be a proper uh, scenario where we'd be, uh, you know, um, having dinner and sitting down. So I'm going to call you on to tell me who your first guest would be. Okay. Um, my first guest, uh, in fact, is someone that has come up previously, but I, I have to mention him okay. again simply because of his his status, his role, his reputation. Kofi Annan. Kofi Annan is is just I think from the perspective of someone who doesn't like the UN is is mainly a faceless company. Yeah. Organization I should say. Yeah. yeah. Really. But Kofi Annan stands out as a very significant person. Um especially during the time of the whole sort of weapons of mass destruction kind of scenario that was going on over in Iraq and the Middle East. Um, and he he was known as the man that, that pretty much saved the world from <laughs> from its impending doom. Um, so I have to I have to big him up. The Secretary General of the United Nations United Nations um, for ten years. He began, uh, he started at, in 1997. I started high school in that year. Wow. So, yeah. Um, wow. He was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 2001. And he's founded the Kofi Annan Foundation, which is weirdly a non-governmental organization um, <laughs> that's designed around good governance, peace and, and you know, prosperous prosperity. Um, I'm not quite sure how that works. I, I suppose the UN isn't a government as such, but I suppose he's no longer there. So yeah, I guess he has that, that freedom. Autonomy, to, yeah, 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 which is beautiful. But yeah, that that's my first guest. Who would be your first guest, Mark? Well, I suppose it comes about perspectives. Um, the person I'm inviting would certainly have a very interesting discussion with Kofi Annan. This person um, has both similarities and differences. One of his major differences was to recognise Africa as a separate place and to have striving for its own identity and its own um, place in the world. Um, the person I'm talking about is Julius Kambaraj Nerere, the first uh, proper president, prime minister of Tanzania. Um, and he's somebody who, if I said to you Martin Luther King, or I said to you Gandhi, worldwide people would know those names. Mm -hmm. And I find it quite shocking that no one knows this guy's name, when really Nerere was as important as those two people, if not more important. So why do I say that? What qualifies that statement? Um, he was somebody who who um, started out as an anti-colonial activist, a politician, and a political theorist. Now, you have to remember, at the time that he started out, Tanzania, or as it was known at the time, was Tanganyika was a colony of the British. Um, he, he started out as, um, as a teacher, would you believe? Okay. And uh, after being a teacher, he went on to become a trade unionist. So he, 
Uh, he he um, he spent some time studying in in college in Uganda, and he also went to you know, Edinburgh University in Scotland. He married and, and became a teacher. He then um, helped form the TANU, uh, which was uh, an independence uh, party to be independent from the British Empire. He was influenced by Gandhi, and he preached non-violent protest. He was elected to the Legislative Council in 1958. He then led Tanu to victory in the 1960 election, becoming Prime Minister. In negotiations wow. with British authorities resulted in Tanganyikan independence in 1961. In 62, it became a republic with, with Nerere elected its first president. His, now, this is where he starts to implement what I would call his African fingerprint on the the way of doing things. His admin pursued decolonization and the Africanization of the civil service while promoting unity between indigenous Africans and the country's Asian and European minorities. He encouraged the formation of a one-party state and unsuccessfully pursued the pan-Africanist formation of East African Federation with Uganda and Kenya. Mm -hmm. In 1963, he suppressed a coup that tried to take him over. Oh, following, wow. the, and then this is important because it's still re resonant today. Following the Zanzibar Revolution in '64, the island of Zanzibar was unified with Tanganyika, forming Tanzania. So it was only in 1964 did Tanzania start as a name for the country. After this, Nyerere placed a em growing emphasis on national self-reliance and socialism. So his idea was African socialism. Although his socialist views differed from Marxist-Leninism, he had close links to Mao Zedong in China. In 67, Nerere issued the Ashru Declaration, which outlined his vision of Ujamaa. Banks and other major industries and, and companies were nationalized. Education and healthcare were significantly expanded. Renewed emphasis was placed upon agricultural development through the formation of communal farms. Although these reforms hampered food production and left areas dependent on food aid. His government provided training and aid to anti-colonialist groups fighting white minority rule throughout Southern Africa and oversaw Tanzania's 78-79 war with Uganda, which resulted in the overthrow of the dictator President Amin. In 1985, he stood down and was replaced by someone who reversed all his policies, yet he remained chair of the Chama Champa Pumpunzi until 1990, supporting a transition to multi-party system and later served as a mediator in attempts to end the Burundi war. Across Africa, he gained widespread respect as an anti-colonialist anti and in power received praise for ensuring that, unlike its neighbours, Tanzania remained stable and unified in the decades following independence. Now, what's interesting about that is it remained stable when the whole world was, was boycotting it for practicing hmm. uh, socialist views. So all the, the Western countries didn't want anything to do with it. And yet it still remained more stable than most of the countries around it. So I think he has to be honoured. And I'm really surprised his name isn't more world known, more widely world known, more widely known across the world, um, given all he's achieved. And he was a, a blueprint for so many countries around Africa that you could do things your own way. You didn't have to copy the Western model or the communist model. You could actually do it your own way. 
when I was in Africa, people were still talking about him, and that was 30 years later, about the effect he had had. Mm -hmm. So he would be my first choice. Wonderful, wonderful. Who's your second choice, Jermaine? Um, my second choice... <clears throat> I'm going to describe him first. Um, he was born in the Clara Town district of Monrovia. Okay. He's a member of the crew ethnic group, which hail from southeastern Liberia's Grand Crew County, one of the poorest areas of the country. Um, his father was a mechanic and his mother was a seller. And um, he was one of 13 children, largely raised by his devoutly Christian paternal grandmother. Um, he has three brothers, William Moses and Wallow. Um, and he was an exponential footballer. He was amazing. Um, he's actually regarded as one of the best players to have never played a World Cup. Wow. George Weah. Okay. George Weah. Um, he played for teams in France. Monaco, Paris Saint-Germain in League One. He played for AC Milan. He played for Chelsea and Man City, Marseille, um, and ended his career in Al Jazeera or with Al Jazeera. Um, and 442 also named him as one of the best players never to win the UEFA Champions League. Wow. Since then, ending his uh, his football career, he's gone on to challenge um, somebody who may well come up in this, um, but he lost to this person twice for the, uh, the presidency of Liberia and is currently the incumbent president. So from 2017, he has been uh, president of Liberia. And I think that's an amazing achievement from a footballer to a politician to president. What a journey. Unbelievable. He, he's the 25th president of Liberia. He's amazing. I want to bring a personal thing in for me uh, around George Weah. Um, one of the first acts he did as president was to give a special um, award to Arsene Wenger, um, who had been his manager, his first manager in Europe when he left Africa to play in Europe at Monaco. Um, Arsene Wenger was his manager and looked after him when he was um, experiencing racism and things as a young, a young player coming over to play in, in, in Europe, in France. And to thank him, maybe, I don't know how many years later, it must be at least 30 years later, yeah. Uh, one of the first actions he did and one of the first things that happened when Wenger stopped being manager of Arsenal was to be invited to Liberia and receive a medal from George Weah. So, I mean, that's like loyalty, family, all sorts of things rolled into it as, lo as well as, you know, being the president of, of his country. Amazing guy. Amazing guy. Amazing. And, and also, to, to note, um, on the uh, A Love Supreme with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. A Love Supreme episode, we actually talk about violence in football. Um, mm. And in uh, 1988, how do you, do you know how much um, they paid, uh, Monaco paid the Cameroonian club 
Panayonde. Do you know how much they paid for him? I have no idea. £12,000. Well, that's ridiculous. That wouldn't even <laughs> buy a pair of boots today. <laughs> that is just £12,000. Um, it was actually the, uh, the Cameroonian manager that reached out to Arsene Wenger and, and basically set that up and the rest is history, as they say. So, yeah. Um, who would be your your second guest now? Yes, that's right. It's my second one. Um, it's somebody that I've followed and, and admired for many, many years. And she's known affectionately Africa. Her name is Miriam okay. McCaber. Okay. She is okay. an amazing human being. Not only is she blessed with a beautiful voice and an ability to bring music with love to people, but she's also stood up all the time for her people in South Africa and for the African people. She, um, she was, she's been an artist, an activist, and a major participant in anti-apartheid and pan-African movement. She wrote and performed music that uh, criticised the end of racial segregation. She was the wife of Hugh Maskalela, a very famous uh, musician from South Africa. And also, uh, she was the wife of Kwame Toure, who was formerly known as Stoke, Stokely Carmichael, um, who many people listening to this will remember him uh, as a black rights advocate in the United States. For over 30 years, she was one of the artists responsible for igniting the consciousness of thousands of people. The music. She has been, well, the word inspiration, I mean, that's why we have that word. She has been an inspiration. Um, support you're breaking up a little bit there now uh apartheid promoting i'm not sure uh what's happening with your signal but if you can uh, try to can you hear me now to your your wi-fi reader okay you're, you're back with us now can you hear me now Okay, fine. So yep. I was just saying that she she has stood wholeheartedly for ending apartheid and for promoting positive images of Africa. She's performed all over the world. She spent time living in, in America and, and other places, France. Just an incredible ambassador for music and for positive images. So she's my second guest, 100%. 100%. Mm-hmm. Who's your third guest, Jermaine? Sorry about breaking up, by the way. No worries. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, okay, so my third guest is uh, another woman. Okay. Um, <laughs> George Weir's arch enemy, um, okay. it, it could be put as. Um, she was born also in Monrovia um, to a Gola mother, sorry, Gola father, and a crew... German mother. Um, she was educated at the College of West Africa and studied duh, 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 at Harvard 
Well, now this is Ellen Johnson Berleaf, born Ellen Eugenia Johnson um, in 1938. She was a Liberian politician who served as the 24th president um, up to 2018, from 2006 to 2018, and then George Weah took over the reign. Um, she was elected the first female head of state in Africa. Now, that, that's quite significant because we're talking about how patriarchy is the dominant sort of uh, methodology behind societies. And for her to break through in just 2006, that's, that's quite an achievement. Yeah. And it's also quite late on, I think, really. You know, <laughs> we're spending a lot of time catching up on, on equality here on this planet. And um, yeah, I'd like to honor Sally. Wow. Okay. Yeah. How about you? So, who would be your third? My third guest is yes. another woman. Uh, um, uh, her name is Ya Asante Wa. Ya Asante Wa, Wa was the queen mother of the Eshuni, um, <clears throat> of the of the Eshuni. She led the Ashanti in war against the British, uh, the British colonialism between 1900 and 1901. She was the keeper of the golden stool of the Ashanti Confederacy. She challenged the violent British call for the complete domination of the Ashanti Confederacy and demanded the return of the king, Ashanti the I, where many others considered surrender. She and her soldiers defiant, de deftly fought against the British. And though she was defeated and exiled to the Seychelles, Yaya Ashantewa's bravery and military fortitude exemplified the uniqueness of female leadership in anti-colonial processes, inspiring future generations of Ghanaians in the long fight for independence. And she's just got to be at the table. So that's why I'm calling on her. She has to be at the table. Mm. Who's your fourth guest? Interesting. My fourth guest. Um, you're going to step into the world of business. Now, <clears throat> this gentleman began his business journey with a, a loan. Okay. <laughs> a loan from his uncle um, and started trading. Now, he, he built a conglomerate which is diversified in manufacturing a range of, of products. His companies are in several African countries and have created direct employment for more than 11,000 people. Now, when I think of like the continent of Africa, I think just in, in one country, you're talking at least 70, 80, 90 million people. 11,000 people doesn't really seem like that no. much. Um, but this gentleman has created a multi-billion pound business in none other than oil refinery mm -hmm. in Nigeria. So 
he's currently working on a project which will actually change Nigeria's status to that of an exporter of refined petrol. Akilo Dangote, or Dangote, I hope I've, I've pronounced that right. <laughs> um, he is the Africa's richest man. And, and spends his time promoting the African private sector across the world through his conglomerate, Dangote Group. Wow. I didn't think an anarchist would be calling on that, but that's fair play. I, br- I think it's a brave choice. I, I, think, I think he deserves some props. In, in yeah, well, I think it's a brave choice. Very brave choice. And I'm going to, for my fourth guess... I'm going to bring up who I would consider to be the most, um, what's the word? When you talk about the word personality, I would challenge anyone to find someone who's got a bigger personality than this guy across the whole of the African continent. His name is Fela Anikulapu Kuti, known to many as Fela Kuti. He was so many things. It's unbelievable. He was a... um, one of the most incredible musicians. He was, he played many different instruments. He was a band leader, a composer. He was also a political activist and a Pan-Africanist. He's the, he was regarded as the pioneer of Afro, Afrobeat, which uh, took the music of Yoruba, the Cuban music and funk and jazz and combined them all together. At the height of his popularity, he was referred to as one of Africa's most challenging and charismatic musical performers. He he um, he had many different wives, and has had many many many, many children. Many 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 wives. different yeah. lives. Wives uh, wives wives. Uh, okay, right. Um, and many many children. Many who have gone on to music uh, after he was. Um, he was actually the the son of a Nigerian women's rights activist called Van Milo Ransakuti. Um, he was also engaged in political activism in the 1970s, to, 1970s until his death. He criticised the corruption of Nigerian government officials and the mistreatment of Nigerian citizens. He spoke of colonialism as the root of the social, economic and political problems that plagued the African people. He also um, openly vo- uh, vo- vocalised against violence and oppression by the controlling Ni- uh, the, the regime control in Nigeria. He was arrested on over 200 occasions and spent time in jail, including the longest stint of 20 months. On top of the jail time, the corrupt government sent soldiers to beat him, his family and his friends and destroy where he lived. The reason they destroyed where he lived is because he had a commune, um, very similar to many communes in the 60s, where you know you could live in peace and freedom and, and not be disturbed. And... Um, you know, live the lifestyles that, that, that the system would let you. And uh, they didn't like it. It was an example. Many people came to join them. And um, he was, I don't know, criticised uh, for that. Here, I want to read this to you. as <laughs> Maybe a final thing which will maybe inspire you to have him at our table with us. It's from the Herald Sun of 2011. Imagine Che Guevara and Bob Marley roll into one person and you get a sense of the Nigerian musician and activist Fela Kuti. Um, I would suggest anyone listen to this before you. Oh, sorry, uh, just before I go to that bit. In 1978, Kuti became a poly, 
polygamist, polygamist, when he simultaneously married 27 women. The highly publicized wedding ceremony wow. uh, served many purposes. It marked one year anniversary of Kuti and his wife surviving the Nigerian attack on his settlement and also formalized Kuti's relationships with the women living with him. This legal status prevented the Nigerian government from raiding his compound again. Um, so that's kind of a, a, a touch of what he was like. Um, but I, I suggest people listen to his music. His music is absolutely sensational. And uh, it's, it's, it's mesmeric. And when you hear it for the first time, it's incredible. And I'm happy to say I saw him in concert and I've seen his son, uh, Femi Kuti, in concert. Incredible music. It just has to be at the table. I mean, this is going to be a party for you. Folks. I mean, no doubt. You know, I'd love to see him dancing with Kofi Annan. It'd be quite a scene for... For sore eyes, <laughs> for sore eyes, it would be quite a scene. Jermaine, who's your fifth guest? My fifth guest <clears throat> was born on the 1st of April 1940 in Nyeri, Kenya colony. Mm. She's an environmentalist, a political activist, and a writer. She was involved with founding a Green Belt movement in 1977 where she planted 45 million trees around Kenya. Wow. Um, this wow. act earned her the Nobel Peace Prize of 2004 and also the Indira Gandhi Peace Prize in wow. 2006. Um, to take a quote from her, if you have not dig the hole, plant the seed, water it and make it survive, you have not done a thing. Wow. Okay. That's quite a quote. Wangari Muta Mati Matai. Wangari Muta Matai, I believe it might be pronounced. Um, wonderful. Oh, woman. She fought relentlessly for, for women's liberation, for human rights, for democracy, and environmental conservation. Hence the Green Belt movement. Wow. Wow. Thank you. going to be quite a dinner it really is it really is i've got one more guest to choose haven't i yes and, and so have no, I. no that was your fifth i'm afraid you start oh, okay, you start yeah, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> there's more well, they can be on the on the uh the, the reserve list like with the reserve wine yeah. they can be the reserve list um i was going to choose uh cleopatra um for the way that she skillfully stopped the Roman Empire from attacking Egypt. But um, I, I really have to do this, gentleman, um, because I just have to. Um, Nelson Mandela. I mean, he has to be at the dinner. You know, if you're going to honour the African continent, you have to honour Nelson Mandela. Uh, the, it's, it's really, really difficult to talk about Nelson Mandela because people have, or I would call the media image of him, and he was so much more than that. Um, and he wasn't somebody who planned to be what he became. You know, it's really weird because I know a lot of people in life who um, want to live a peaceful, calm life. And I think he, ha he was that kind of person. However, I think part of the problem was he, he trained to be a lawyer. 
And once you're a lawyer, once you're working as a lawyer, um, you end up meeting cases of injustice and you have two choices. You either represent them as a lawyer or you take it to another level where you you work on some level to oppose those injustices. Now, that's just generally. But imagine being in South Africa when you had apartheid. Mm. You know, could you really sit there and, you know, just act as a lawyer when all that's going on around you? Boy. And then, good and then getting involved... Uh, you know, le- helping to have boycotts and marches, not anything, nothing dramatic, doing those sort of things and then finding yourself in prison for 27 years. And throughout that whole time, I wonder how many of us in prison for 27 years would keep solid to the beliefs that we had. I don't think anyone could actually go to prison for 27 years in the UK. Isn't the maximum 25? I think there have been people that have been in prison that long. I don't know if you can still do it. Um, I I believe that uh, it's trying to be stopped now. But but, 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 you see, I think a lot of people go to prison for that time do it because they've done horrendous crimes, not because they've acted on a political Mm -hmm. uh, choice. Yeah. Uh, he was arrested uh, under the Suppression of the Communist Act. Sorry, Suppression of Communism Act. Uh, stood trial for tw- with 21 other people. Wow. Uh, I think that was the first time. I don't even know if that was the time he was actually sent down. I oh, know it was 50... Sorry, that wasn't the time he was sent down. After taking part in an unsuccessful protest to prevent the forced relocation of all black people from Sophia Town in Johannesburg, and Mandela concluded that violent action would prove necessary to end apartheid. I've got a feeling that's, I've got a feeling that's what led to him being improved. Okay. Yeah. Um, Inciting an insurrection type thing. Well, only because of what they were trying to do, opposing what the you know the, the racist apartheid regime was trying to do. Yeah. 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 Of course. Of course. Um, I wonder if so. He was imprisoned in '62. Um, they believe that the the authorities were tipped off to his whereabouts. But he was imprisoned from '62 to 1990. He actually. You know, even after coming out, he he'd be friend, he'd had a twenty-year relationship with a prison guard. I mean, just I don't know many people that have that motivation anyway to stay with something for twenty-seven years and much longer, actually, but twenty-seven years of belief, and then to come out and be president of a country that probably wanted a lot of revenge, and he managed to keep the non-violence, the you know they had a they had a system he put in place where you people spoke about what they'd done and then they could be forgiven now i don't know if i could live with that but he managed to wow. to get people to understand that and to go along with it i mean that, that's quite an exceptional an exceptional wow. uh i don't know what you call it like way of of dealing with a problem 
how do you manage that? Because and, and you've been... when people start to speak out and share what they've done, surely that would, yeah. or might anger other people and create another cycle. Plus the fact that you've been in prison for that long because of that. Oh, man. I mean, can you imagine having that mentality? Not only have you, not only have you been in prison that long, but you're listening to people talking about how they've systematically, systematically destroyed your your fellow people, your fellow human beings. And on top of that, he had to deal with his wife, who had become a fiery independent unit of her own. Some people would argue that she kind of rather let him down towards... I mean, and again, you're talking about someone who's had to spend 30 years not seeing her husband properly. You know, like, she's had to make her own way as the the wife of... I mean, can you imagine the pressure of being the wife of Nelson Mandela? It's like, what? When you go to the shop, you know, I haven't got enough milk. You're the wife of Nelson Mandela, you know what I mean? It's like, wow, how would you cope with that? How would you deal with that? Um, but she ended up forming a little group of uh, protection guys and they had a bit of a bad reputation in Soweto um, to the point that people were complaining to Mandela about it. Imagine being in prison and people are complaining to you about your wife and you can't even go out and do anything. The, the way he dealt with her to, to A, have a divorce, but to B, to keep friends with her was great because, it, you know, again, it showed reconciliation. It didn't show the kind of frustration or anger or what you might have had of someone in that way. And then he went on to marry... Uh, Am I right in saying he married uh, Simona Michelle's wife? I think I'm right in saying that. I'm not sure. I might have to quickly look that up because uh, if it is, it was the the president of um, the president of um, Mozambique. I don't know if you know about this, Jermaine. I don't know if you've, you've followed this at all. The president of uh, Mozambique was a guy who um, was, um, how can I say this? Some people suggest, I think it's the best way to put it, some people suggest that he was killed um, uh, in a plane crash organized by the South African apartheid regime. Um, her, yeah, her name was Great Grace Michelle. She was the wife of the uh, former president Samora Michelle of of Mozambique, and he was killed in a plane crash, which was many people suggested done by the South African regime because Mozambique was very active in oppo- opposing apartheid, and it was on the border with South Africa, so. It was a country that didn't hold a lot of um, love for. The, the apartheid regime had, didn't have a lot of love for this country. Yeah. So when he when he divorced uh, Winnie Mandela, um, he married her in... Uh, he married uh, some more... Michelle, uh, Gracia Michelle. Uh, he married her, um, and she effectively the, the first lady of South Africa. Which again was a difficult thing to do because people are quite uh, provincial in those areas. To actually take a wife from the country near you, it's quite a big thing to do. Quite a big thing to do. Um, 
this is Mandela all over. It's like the whole of his legacy uh, is reconciliation. You know, you started off inviting the first person you invited to this dinner was um, was uh, Kofi Annan, and he did that as a as a, a political thing. You know, he was a um, he was a UN sort of secretary who did all this. She was some uh, he, Mandela was somebody who did it through every facet of his life. Amazing, absolutely amazing. And so when he when he came out of prison, he eventually married her once he divorced Winnie. And, and she was his wife until he died. So I, I've got to have Mandela at the party. I mean, just got to sit down and talk to him and, and just understand how he kept his mind so balanced. I think that's been a really good dinner. You haven't even seen the dessert yet. You haven't even seen the dessert. Um, I think what we, what might be quite nice is if we expanded on this and maybe did like another tour, but with oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we can kind of vary it on different areas and industries and all of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, that's, that's been a really enjoyable episode. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jermaine. I love your guests, and I hope that the uh, the. I hope that the listeners have, have taken something from this. I think uh, sharing these episodes, these particular episodes, by, by exclusive invite only um, with a few people, they've they've actually had to sort of sit and think and realise that, oh, there's a few other people that I don't know, <laughs> that I should know. Um, and, you know, like with when we did Australasia, I sent it to a friend of mine in Australasia and, and like she only knew one wow. of them. Wow. Wow. So, you know, it, it, it's great to kind of be able to reach out and share some some more information, some more history and insight. Um, so, yeah, thank you once again. Well, thank Mark. you. Thank you also to the Curious Anarchy podcast listeners. This is by exclusive invite only. I'm going to call it exclusive invite only, not exclusive invitation. Oh, interesting. Only. So I, just seem to, I, keep, I keep seeming to mix them up. So, yeah, by exclusive invite only on the Curious Anarchy podcast, this is Jermaine G and my co-host Mark W. Jermaine, yeah, thanks a lot, Jermaine. Uh, if you want to go, I'm going to just start washing up some of these plates and um, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hook again next time. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Good night. Good night.